Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel of Ansham at Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Yitro, the Ten Commandments. I'll have one from column A and two from column B. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Rabbi. I thought I would start the way that we often do, where I get to ask questions of you and you get to be the subject of my experiment. <laughs> like a lab rat. Right. Works for me. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. Quick. Name three of the Ten Commandments. Oh, come on. Um, <laughs> thou shalt not kill. Uh, honor thy mother and father. And uh, have no God other than me. Okay. That was the first three I, that came to mind. I hope I at least got them right. You did. You did. They are part of the Ten Commandments. Uh, yeah. I I can. I think everybody who's listening to this, who went through this exercise, said, God, I'm so glad that wasn't me he was asking that question <laughs> to. <laughs> what was interesting to me, and I thought I – okay, let me just tell you my prediction here. My prediction was that you would name the – commandments from the last half which are you know don't murder don't steal don't commit adultery don't covet and i didn't think you would choose any from the first five i'm the lord of god don't take my name in vain don't make graven images so i thought that was kind of an interesting thing because i the question i wanted to ask was why do we need the first four commandments which are really god focused why do we need those why can't we just get to the good stuff or the stuff that applies to us? Don't murder. Don't steal. Why Why do we need those first five? First, yeah, that's a great question. In other words, maybe we could get away with one tablet. You know, we, we're all kind of familiar with that um, Mel Brooks thing where he plays Moses, comes down from the mountain, he's holding three sets of tablets, and he says, and here are the 15, and he drops one and says, here's the Ten Commandments, right? Right. So maybe we could have done with one tablet. Why? Why do we need? Um, why do we need two? Maybe we needed a lot more tablets, um, more than fifteen commandments. Because I mean, I think of those last five, as you said, as being more uh, about the law, about you know specific rules. And obviously, we go on to create lots more rules than that. Um, you know, six miles over the speed limit in Chicago, you get a ticket now. But the first five are different in that I feel like they're establishing the base that they're establishing sort of the, um, the framework, the philosophy that why we're doing this in the first place. I really like what you're saying, by the way, just before we kind of continue with, with your comment, there is a book called Sefer HaChinuch, which is uh, written hundreds of years ago. And it is a book which shows that the 10 commandments are the source of every other commandment how do we understand not stealing and the many ways that we can understand that or not to murder, not to covet. And so in this book, he shows how the 10 commandments are not simply the 10 commandments and everything follows, but the 10 commandments are in fact the basis for all Jewish law, all of the uh, laws for a, uh, a just society. And so you're quite right. What's going to follow next week is the Parsha of Mishpatim, which is basically the earliest law code. So, but the Ten Commandments, as you've pointed out, not just the first tablet, but the Ten Commandments at large are the foundation for all Jewish law. They're the uh, foundation for how a just society understands itself. So to your question, why would you start with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? Why do we need to 
know that I shouldn't make uh, a graven image out of God or that I shouldn't take God's name and use it in vain. Why do I need those laws? Yeah, I feel like it's establishing the groundwork for the relationship, not just the relationship with God, but like our relationship to other people and our relationship to the universe. If the other laws are meant to be followed and if we're to respect them, you have to begin by understanding, you know, who you're in a relationship with. I think what you're saying is so on target. It's just I want to underscore it. We typically think of God, which is kind of the um, Christian understanding of God as a lawgiver, as the zealous God, of God of fire and brimstone. Whereas the Torah again and again, both in the Garden of Eden and even in the beginning of the Ten Commandments says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, we have a relationship already. I am the one who is a part of your history. Now, that is a double-edged sword because it's almost a quid pro quo. Okay, I did this for you. Now, this is what you're going to do for me. So it starts there, but it's, but it's all based on a relationship. And our relationship with God should reflect our relationship with other people and vice versa. So I guess I, I would ask you, how is that possible? How do I understand my relationship with God vis-a-vis other people? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I start by thinking, when you first say that, I start by thinking that, you know, we, we operate under the principle that we are all made in the image of God and that there's a, you know, sort of God sort of is a part of our souls. We're all trying to live up to that kind of um, spiritual belief that we all represent God and God is within us. And that, that if you have operate that way, then then you have this duty to behave a certain way toward each other as well as um, in respect to God. Because, because we're made in the image of God. In other words, if you are going to treat God in a particular way, respectful, thoughtful, guard your words, etc., shouldn't you treat the beings that are on earth who are in the image of God with equal respect? Yeah, that, right, that's right. And it also means elevating yourself to believe that, you know, you have to live up to those values too, that if, if you are made in the, in the image of God, then, then you have to behave a certain way as well. So it's, it's both inward and outward. It's what you expect of yourself and how you treat others. I, I hear Henry Higgins from my fair lady in the background by George. <laughs> I think he's got it. <laughs> he's exactly right. I think you put your finger right on the issue. And so if you then go back and unpack those early commandments about God, what's happening? First of all, it says there is a God. That is a commandment. You must accept the idea of a God or some supernatural force, something that is involved in the creation of the world in Jewish history. There is a God. But beyond that, it also says you don't have any power here. Right. You can't then make this God into an idol to use against somebody else. Right. You don't have that kind of control. First of all, you can't conceive of God, much less create an image of God. Right. God is beyond anything you can possibly understand. And you cannot use God's name in vain. You can't use it for your own purposes. Right. To uh, damn another person or to curse another person or to raise something, God's name is something that we guard. And so we do this in Jewish life. We don't pronounce the most holy name of God. We're guarding the name. But then the question becomes, just as you noted so well, what about other people? 
how do I apply these ideas to other people? When I walk by someone on the street who may be asking for help, what am I looking at? Am I looking at an image of God or am I looking at somebody I just don't want to look at? How do I understand that? Yeah, the interesting thing about this to me is that these are, these rules feel like do's and don'ts. You know, it feels like we're being given a set of instructions. And like I mentioned, the, the speeding tickets, you know, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But what you're saying, I think, is that in some ways, it's the opposite. It's about these rules give us the freedom to be the people we're supposed to be. Thinking about spirituality here, not enforcement of, of a bunch of strict codes. Do I live with that consciousness beyond, you know, going to synagogue or beyond that moment of meditation or beyond when I have a moment of wonder and something that's something indescribably beautiful? How do I relate God how do I take that lesson and my relationship with God and apply it to other people, both in language and acts, in how I see people? That's why we have these two sets of tablets. One informs the other. And what's interesting is that the crossover commandment, the commandment that is going to bridge the first commandments about what we call ben adam makom, between a person and God, and the second set of tablets, which are ben adam le chavero, between a person and their fellow is the commandment to honor your mother and your father, that your parents in a sense are the transitional figures to God. And so we kind of refer to our, we say avinu malkenu, our father, our king. We refer to the Shekhinah as a feminine form, sometimes as a bride, right? So, so that we, in a sense, you see how God is connected in some sort of parental role. And if you can't honor your parents, then how could you expect to possibly honor God? And I suppose, as you said earlier, if your parents are not worthy of respect, if you don't act in ways that your children would respect you, right, the, the model that you set, then you are also part of this process and this transitional commandment that we are responsible as parents to reflect the best values, in a sense, to also reflect the image of God. Yeah, that's really uh, powerful. And I think, you know, you may have said it already, but I feel like the opposite or the the inverse is also true that, you know, you begin by respecting God, by putting yourself in a relationship with God, and then you transition to how can I apply that to the world in which I'm living, um, you know, on earth and to my relationships and to my business transactions. That's in some ways the whole point of having this relationship and this, you know, spiritual approach to um, you know, thinking about God. Right. So we begin with our parents, and then we apply that rule to other people as well. You know, I was thinking as we were talking about this terrible, terrible murder of Tyree Nichols, and how is it that five policemen so mercilessly kill someone with batons and kicking and all the rest? The, the video is just too, almost too horrific to even watch. And I think this is exact. the issue there is exactly what we're talking about. They could not have seen Tyree Nichols as a human being. They couldn't have seen him as a being created in the image of God. He was, uh, I don't know, he was, he was a criminal. He was uh, running away. He was disrespecting us. However you want to understand it, but he certainly wasn't a human being in their eyes. And I think that is a starting point for all human relations. You begin to unpack what's happening in our larger society. We do not, in so many cases, see people in the image of God, creations in the image of God. We just don't see it. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really good way of thinking about what you said earlier about the first five commandments flowing into the the second five, because you can teach people the law. You can teach them that you're not supposed to kill, and I'm pretty sure that most police officers know that it's against the law to kill. But if you don't teach them first that there's a that we we have a shared humanity, that we are all brothers, that we are all made in the image of God, then the law may not be enough to stop you. I think that's exactly right. And so I want to congratulate you on passing today's test. You gave two commandments, the left column and one commandment from the right column. You showed that that mix. And I think that that's something that all of us should be striving to do. And when we are looking at these kinds of horrible cases or, you know, the war in Ukraine, how could you possibly be bombing civilians unless you saw them as something other, which is exactly what Putin does right? He talks about them as Nazis or all kinds of heinous things to deprive them of their humanity. That's the world we're living in. And I think we have to be on guard about that. We do. And I want to thank you for not asking me to name four of the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Thank you, Jonathan.